You are listening to A Taste of Romamu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romamu, please visit romamu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So where were we? Last week, we talked last week about flourishing. People remember? How many people remember that? Flourishing. Come on. How many people remember flourishing? Make me happy. And giving you permission to lie right here in front of everybody. Do you remember flourishing? Amen. And the kind of celebration that studies show makes a marriage a good marriage. How many people do you think they have a good marriage? How many people here want a good marriage? I got your attention in the back. You guys were schmoozing over there. And I said, okay, I'm going to talk. I saw you guys in the back. I said, okay, good marriage. Everybody wants a good marriage. And last week's sermon was all about Martin Seligman's work in the book Flourish, where he said that couples, quoting some research that was in couples that celebrate together, that is a more important criteria for how they get along, how solid their marriage is, more important than how they fight. Right? Remember that? And if you don't, you might want to look it up. It's great stuff. Because essentially he focused on active construction. Remember being in the construction business, kanbonim? Here we're constructing, that you engage the other and you construct, you celebrate with them as opposed to either active destruction, which we don't want to be around, where someone ignores completely the moment when we're celebrating with them, or passive construction, four types. Remember that, right? It's part of the tzaddik curricula, part of what it is to build the world. And this week, I'm thinking about how it began. The week began with a marathon. And then for me personally, it, be, it kind of started with an anniversary. So those are my two themes for the week. Being able to run 26 miles and having an anniversary. And there's some similarity. <laughs> I, I just realized that. It's not like... <laughs> But one of the amazing things on Sunday was going to the marathon was I went with my two boys. We went across the park and we met up with a dear friend and we stood on Fifth Avenue as there were kind of like two or three miles left. I'd never done this before. I've been in New York for almost 40 years. And it was so heartwarming. How many people have done that? You guys have done that before? If you haven't done it, put it in your, in your diary for next year. You're going to go watch the deep humanity as people willed themselves across that across the finish line. It's so powerful to watch all of the different running styles. There's the running style like this, and then there's the, you know, there's the, you know. And and then you have all of your, every imaginable. And the most amazing thing that my friend was doing was he was standing in the road, so he was like, standing in the road, and he was pointing to, and if a person had a name on their chest, he was going, Jamie! And all of a sudden, the person would be like, in their own world, they'd be like, you know. And they hear their name and be like, <laughs> and then he'd say, two more, two more, come on, two more. And you'd see them, they, they, like, all of a sudden they had chias, they got excited. One woman corrected him, she said, it's not two, it's three, you know, it's like, <laughs> come on, you can't make that stuff up. She had enough energy to stop and say, well, you know, you know, you know like, 
I usually do it much better mile, but it's three and he's two, and now I'm so disappointed, and the therapy was there. It was a very New York moment. It, was, it just was so, my kids, and, and then I saw my two, my two sons doing the same thing, like watching me, and they were kind of like putting out their hand, and strangers are coming by, like high-fiving them. It was great. And my anniversary, my seventh year with this amazing woman, Arielle Rosen Ingbert, it was a beautiful Monday night. And I'm thinking, of course, both of those personal moments are very present in this, in this reading this coming week. Tomorrow morning, Parshat Chaye Sarah, it continues the marathon of Isaac's life. Isaac's in a marathon. His father left Mesopotamia in order to listen to a God who speaks to him and tells him to go places and says, I'll show you where you need to go. And you'll have children, you'll have a land. I have all these promises for you. And his father is very dutiful, he's very obedient, he's very loving, he's very generous, he's very alive. Abraham is the paradigm, the paragon of energetic expansion. In Kabbalah, Abraham's always expanding. There's always another project, there's always another place to go. He never stops moving, Abraham. Isaac is born into a family that never stops moving. His father is a bargainer. His father bargains for the life of his nephew Lot, for the city of Sodom and Amorah. He doesn't bargain for Isaac's life. In fact, he doesn't bargain for Sarah either, his wife. And tomorrow morning we begin the Parsha with the continuation of the marathon of Abraham's life and Isaac's sonship. His beloved mother, Sarah, dies. He's not a very old man at all. He's about 40 years old when she passes. And Abraham bargains again. He bargains for the burial plot. He's handling with Ephron Achiti. He's buying this land called Marata Machpelah, the cave of Machpelah, in a place called Kiryat Arba or Hebron. And then chapter 23 ends and chapter 24 begins and it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis and it's all about a match, a shidduch. A shidduch that Abraham's servant is sent to find a wife for Isaac. Make sure, he tells him, that you take a wife for my son from that land that I came but don't dare bring my son back there. And then this incredible narrative where this servant decides, we'll talk about this tomorrow morning, where the servant makes a test for God and says, here's the woman and here's the test. If she comes out and she'll bring water to the well and she'll give me to drink and then she'll offer to give my camels to drink, that's the one that you promised. That's the one. And no sooner had he finished speaking than it happened synchronously. It's just an amazing story, like one of those beautiful stories. And Rebecca immediately in the text is identifiable not as Sarah, not as a replacement for Isaac's mother, but as Abraham. Sarah is, I'm sorry, Rebecca is Abraham. She too has to leave a land of her parents. She too, as many years ago Rabbi Jill Hammer pointed out very beautifully, the word I will go, lech lecha, I will walk. She says, I will leave, elech, I will go. Rebecca is willing to trade 
her family in, but not for land. Rebecca is willing to leave her parents' home, not for land, but for love. Rebecca is willing to leave behind and make a choice, not because a God speaks to her, but because a servant does. Rebecca is the one who is willing to go to an unknown, mysterious place because love is there. Love, love, love will come for you. Rebecca. And as Rebecca comes to see her beloved, her promised, her shidduch, her jadeit par excellence, This is the first date of Isaac and Rebecca, the matriarch and the patriarch. And like my wife and I on our anniversary, we always go back to the first date that we had. Here's the first date. She's coming along on her camel. And she sees off in the distance, someone is in the field. And so she tells the servant, she says, who is that? Who's that man? Who's that, who's that guy? I said, oh, that's my master. In other words, that's your, that's your husband-to-be. Anybody know what's ha- what happens next? She falls off the camel. Is that a, that's a good first date moment, right? <laughs> what would that look like in Instagram? <laughs> Isaac is really, really handsome or something else is going on. And then she does something amazing. What does she do? She covers her face. She takes um, a scarf and she covers her face. What's the meaning of her falling from the camel and why does she cover her face? I think the simplest answer is this. Isaac is a wounded man. I'm a wounded man. You are all wounded men. You are all wounded women. We are all humans subject to pains and marathons, and it's hard. It's hard to keep going in a world where you've lost your father. He'll lose his father. You lost your mother. Your father and your family didn't see you, but saw what you represented, and Along comes Rebecca, who's willing to love Isaac, not the land. Rebecca will teach Isaac what it is to love again. She will heal him. She will lift up his eyes. She will give him eyes that are remade for wonder. She will teach him that there is mystery in history. That behind things that seem closed, there is something potential that's there. She will cover her face to teach him that he is also a mystery. And she promises that love does not cut off mystery with familiarity, but beckons us to explore the deeper mystery of the other that can't ever be reified or objectified, limited to what our eyes can see, but something so far beyond She wanted to rebirth in him hope. It's not 
I think, an accident that Isaac goes blind from what he's seen. And if you look carefully at the text, you'll see the word eyes appear all over the place. Rebecca goes down to the eye of the water to get water. She lifts her eyes to see, and he lifts his eyes to see. She wants him to have new eyes. She wants him to be able to trust again that love is possible. She falls off the camel because she knows that the only way to heal a broken heart is to be at eye level. And then she says, I'm a mystery, but I'm here. Whenever I meet with couples who are going to get married, I say, you know, there's an interesting tradition called bedecking in our tradition. People think it comes from the story of Leah and Rachel, where one was deceived or given in a, you know, in, in a bad exchange. Rachel was the intended and Leah was replaced and Jacob was deceived. And so we bedeck, we check. But the real source for that is the source that each and every human being has God right inside, behind the veil. The veils that cover over reality are what every spiritual practitioner is trying to locate. (laughs) Could you ask for anything more than that? (laughs) So comfortable. Just just like, let me me do that. I'll just say like... I love that. That was great. What are the veils that, that block us from the other? What are the places where we have been wounded, where we are now covering over? And who are the ones in our lives that will stand there and say, yo, Robert, two more? And does it matter who's, right? Does it really matter? Does it really matter who the one is? So say it's this. Robert, two more, brother. It's a mystery. And every married couple that I that I advise, I say to them, that in the language of the Kabbalah, the Shrinta, the source of life is behind the veils. Mitzitza minacharakim, she is behind the lattice work, poking her head out. Rebecca could be seen as a kind of proto-feminist who also was passive in order to give power to her, her strong but wounded husband. That's one read. But I want to read her as a hero. I want to read Rebecca as a hero who had Abraham's passion, Abraham's mission. But she came before Isaac and she said, you know, Abraham wounded you. Abraham left Mesopotamia for land. I left Mesopotamia for you. And I'm here to tell you that it's a marathon and you can do it. And it begins with eyes that are remade for wonder, eyes that can see, and a deep, deep abiding faith that there is mystery in history. This Shabbat, we will be welcoming in the month of Kislev. This coming week, we will herald the new moon, and in this month, we will celebrate Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is a veiled holiday. It's a holiday that, where there are 36 lights. 36 lights of Hanukkah represent the 36 hidden tzaddikim, hidden righteous ones in the world. 
who light one candle in the darkness. They root on one person. They reignite one sense of wonder. They go beyond one veil and they say, hello, trust me, trust the world. Kislev, Kas Lamedvav, the hidden 36. I want to bless all of you as we continue our journey throughout the year to be on the hook this week. Be on the hook for thinking about trust. How we can birth trust in each other. How we can find those who no longer feel that emunah is possible. They've lost their emunah, their faith, or their mother. And reground them, reroute them in a deep, abiding sense that love is possible even after brokenness. At the end of every wedding ceremony, we break a glass. And we will celebrate again this coming week, Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass. Who could have imagined from those fragments the holes that are now present? Who could have imagined from that dark place that light would once again be sown? Who could have imagined in that winter there would once again be a spring? But each and every one of us here knows that, that it's possible. So to be at Sadiq, let yourself fall off the camel. Cover your face. Lift up someone's eyes and light a candle that heals the broken glass.